here to apply for the uh, shoe salesman's job. Job's taken, get out. <laughs> okay. Oh, Poke, you're the best of all the schools. For you, you will always cheer. By day we learn to read and write. By night our team will fight, fight, fight. No matter where we are, we'll always give a raw for P-O-L-K. P-O-L-K. Poke, poke, poke. <laughs> Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a open? No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children Podcast. This is Luigi. And to dispel all rumors, I didn't die in Nam. I actually died here at home, a victim of Agent Red. And I'm Steven. And I don't think we should go up plowing today, Br'er Bear. Hi, I'm Billy Ray Chris from Pest Boys Exterminators, where our motto is, there's no bug that we can't plug. <laughs> awesome, guys. <laughs> uh, so here we are reviewing Scared Single, Season 8, Episode 8. Written by Catherine Green. Special guest stars, Hill Harper as Aaron. John Bloom as Billy Ray Wetnap. Rose Jackson as Angie, Melissa Bear as Heidi, Tara Carzian as Woman in Shoe Store, Joe Ackman as Guy, Mary Pat Green as Marge, Jeff Heston as the Emaciated Man, Tammy Roman as Meg, and Blair Valk as Beautiful Girl. The title of this comes from the 1978 American documentary Scared Straight, which was directed by Arnold Shapiro and narrated by Peter Falk. The subject of the documentary is a group of juvenile delinquents and their three-hour session with actual convicts. Filled at the Rahway State Prison in New Jersey, a group of inmates known as lifers berate, scream at, and terrify the young offenders in an attempt to scare them straight so that those teenagers will avoid prison life. A very uh, apt uh, description for this, uh, for this episode. This program contains explicit language. Parental guidance is suggested. I'm here for murder, kidnapping, robbery, armed robbery, conspiracy. When we got sexual desires, who do you think we get? And don't tell me each other. See, because I don't like nothing in the first place, and I don't like you. You got your best shot, man. One punch. Punch me in my face. Then it's my turn. No punch. Man, get that fucking camera out my face. I told you to cut it off. Have either of you guys ever seen Scared Straight? I have. I do remember... Um seeing it and actually i helped participate i guess you could say in one out here in oklahoma a long time ago because i was doing church work and volunteer stuff and we took some juvenile delinquents out to a state prison here in oklahoma out in hominy and uh, watched the prisoners put this fear of uh, jesus in their hearts Yeah, you know, I I never heard of it. And, you know, uh, this particular joke with Scared Straight has been used a few times on Married with Children. I thought there was a really funny one 
where it's like Al comes home and he says, you know, they, they bust in some kids with this new um, program they called Scared Rich. Like they had to watch me work for three hours, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it makes them they uh, probably go back watched, to school. <laughs> yeah, they probably watched him just put his head down into his hands for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and if you remember in the episode where Kelly gets her first waitress job, like you remember the principal of the school brings the um, the girls into the diner. Oh, right. yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, like you remember her as Kelly Bundy and all they all start screaming. It's like, oh, I got to run to the library. <laughs> I think it's uh, very, um, you know, very similar to that. So, again, you know, season eight, episode eight. Glad to have both of you on. So, uh, Stephen, this is the first time you're with Chris. And Chris, welcome back. Yes. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Glad to be here. So, yeah, we're back in the Jiggly Room. I have to admit, Alex really left this place in order. Some people have said that they think, like, Alex might be, like, a little sloppy, but it's one hell of a, a neat place. I'm really happy to be recording here. Now, I've, one thing, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I went in to use the bathroom. I mean, he had his own personal stall. So I cracked it open, and there were these pictures of J-Lo all over the place. I noticed that, man. It was weird. I'm like... What's been going on here? What's been going on in here, Alex? What are you doing, man? Yeah, I mean, you know, he, he had his own stall, and then there was the guest one. I mean, I, I went into the other one, and, you know, there was um, something written up there that said, you know, if you want a good time, call Dan Chase's house. <laughs> yeah. I haven't recorded with a female. I guess I have to ask Annabelle what the, what the ladies' room looks like over there. But, you know, I guess this being the jiggly room, I, I think it's probably in a far corner for where the strippers go. <laughs> yeah, man. If you guys think that's crazy, did you notice the stall that Jerry uses? It was all about uh, Steve being better than Jefferson. There was all this ramblings of like a crazy man written on the wall about how Steve was a better character than Jefferson. I don't know what it was about. I read that. was crazy. Oh, you wrote that. (laughs) And Stephen, thanks for joining Chris and me today. Yeah, I was hoping to do something with the No Man Roundtable until... They decided to halt the project, and then you and I stepped in, and uh, Tyler and Annabelle and Matt did, and we're all plugging along, and uh, you're a great organizer. You know, I wanted to keep it going, so did Tyler, and when I heard you wanted to carry it on, I think, okay, this is going to work now. Yeah, well, you know, as I said, Stephen, I mean, this is a group effort. I mean, I don't think there's anything that, um, you know, any one of us, I don't think, could do it alone. Uh, as we've seen how much work is involved with this. So we hope all the fan base has really enjoyed this. You know, we have Halloween coming up. So I think that the title is very apt uh, and really on point, you know, being scared. (laughs) So, uh, So we begin this episode with a commercial. Hi, I'm Billy Ray Wetnap from Pest Boys Exterminators, where our motto is, there's no bug we can't plug. And to prove it, our very own Verminator has volunteered to get into this glass cage with 10,000 Peruvian stinging beetles. Stinging beetles? You said they were gonna be ladybugs. Now, she is armed with nothing but her Verminator spray gun filled with our new poison, Are You Dead 42? (laughs) Now, the reason that the Peruvian stinging beetle is so large is that 80% of his body weight is pure D venom. (laughs) 
don't even lose their stingers like them sissified African killer bees. <laughs> Looks like our very own Verminator's in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> but you won't be if you call Manny, me, or Ma at Pest Boys Exterminator. Call 1-800-LEGS-UP, where our motto is, if you wish it, we will squish it. The first joke is about Pest Boys, and I believe that that's a uh, spoof on Pest Boys. Would you say that that's accurate? It might be. It's hard to tell sometimes. If they're gonna do, when they're doing stuff like that, yeah. I mean, Billy Ray says you can call Manny, me, or Ma, and the uh, Pep Boy masks arts are Manny, Mo, and Jack. So I just thought that that was uh, something uh, very um, similar. So now Kelly has gone insane. Well, Ma, it says right here the Peruvian beetle sting can cause temporary insanity, but on the bright side, it has a delightful mating call and stays crunchy in milk. Well, the doctor said she seems to be fine. The pods! The pods! They're opening! Is that you, Napoleon? No, Rhett, it's me. And mark my words, the South shall rise again. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Bud says the Peruvian stinging beetle has a beautiful mating call and stays crunchy in milk. And that's actually a, a pun on Cap'n Crunch cereal. Do we have any Cap'n Crunch cereal consumers? Yeah, I, I actually ate some yesterday morning. <laughs> I, uh, a lot of times when I buy my cereal, I buy like two boxes. You know, one day I'll do Cap'n Crunch and the next day it'll be Rice Krispies or whatever. Yeah, yesterday morning I ate Cap'n Crunch. <laughs> you, you know, the other thing I wanted to point out that I thought was kind of funny about this is when uh, Kelly went into that tank, she said, I thought it was 10,000 ladybugs. I mean, would that make it any better? <laughs> not really. I wouldn't want to go into a cage with 10. I mean, they may not be deadly, you know, to kill you or whatever, but I wouldn't want to go in, in a tank with 10,000 ladybugs, would you? <laughs> Some ladybugs do bite, too. Yeah. <laughs> really? And it hurts. Yeah. Okay. Not all of them, but uh, some strains of them do. And I've been bit by a couple. They hurt. Not viciously, but the, it is painful. That's interesting. You know, last night I had a little incident with a ladybug, and I was like, oh, you know, they don't bite. But now I guess I learned something. So <laughs> who says that you don't learn anything by listening to this podcast, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Also, we really didn't talk about John Bloom, who played Billy Ray. He should be noted as someone that actually has done a lot for cinema in many ways. He is known as better known as Joe Bob Briggs. And uh, he hosted Monster Vision on TNT. I was first exposed to him that way. And uh, he does a lot of uh, B-horror movies. And uh, he goes on the road and talks about them and how they were forerunners for something. He, I once saw an essay that he said, I spit on your grave was a precursor to the accused, which I thought was an interesting take on it. But uh, he's a film analysis, a big film buff and gets into horror i bet uh, people who also subscribe to the skeleton cr skeleton crew may know about him as well oh great great background info we have a bunch of uh, guest uh, stars today yeah we have some de details on them and we'll get to them as we uh as we mm -hmm. get through the podcast so kelly goes nuts and she has some dialogue 
So there's three pieces of dialogue here. The pods, the pods, they're opening. I believe that might be from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It would be, yes. Yep. Then there is that you, Napoleon. Uh, I'm assuming that there was some Napoleon and Josephine type movies that had been at some point. I imagine most of this is in the 50s. And then this last one is No Red, It's Me, and Mark My Words, The South Shall Rise Again. And that's obviously uh, Scarlett O'Hara from Gone with the Wind. You want to know something funny about that, Luigi? Is um, just yesterday, I, I, you know, I live in a north Houston suburb. And, uh, you know, Houston's a very modern city, very 21st century, what have you, very diverse, et cetera. Uh, just yesterday, I drove up about 30 miles north of where I live at, to meet a cousin of mine for his birthday lunch. And we stopped at this old furniture store, and there were so many references to, like, the Confederacy and all that stuff. Of course, that reference in the that Kelly says is from Gone with the Wind, but the South Shall Rise Again, of course, is a reference to the Confederacy. There is literally a big sign at the entrance of the store that said, the South Shall Rise Again. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. Like, you, you only have to get about 50 miles or so out of the big city, and you start seeing these references and stuff, even even today, you know? Yeah, I mean, and you know, as we all know, this past summer, it's been a big, you know, controversial thing within the U.S. about, you know, Confederate monuments, a whole Confederate mentality. I mean, they're being very lighthearted here in the script, but, you know, I wonder if uh, they would be able to actually pull off a joke like that today. Like, in other words, if, if somebody was writing this for something new that was broadcast today. Oh, it wouldn't. I don't think it would. In Oklahoma, we have to deal with it a lot, too out in the rural areas especially Oklahoma has a big part in it because um, the five civilized tribes actually sided with the confederacy oh interesting yeah it, first of all because the five civilized tribes Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek and Muscogee they um, they owned slaves not all of them but yeah they did and the other reason was because they equated the union with the white man who kept uh, cheating them and changing the rules and their uh, agreements so yeah all right now, interesting yeah okay in fact the very last general to surrender was standy Waite. the last confederate general who surrendered was standy Waite. he was a um he was a cherokee and he didn't surrender until about september of 1865 wow yeah Okay, well, I mean, I, I do know a lot about the Civil War, but I didn't know those uh, tidbits. Very interesting. Like, again, mm -hmm. you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Al walks in the door, and he's very excited because he gets to hire an assistant for the shoe store. Man, do I have good news. Al, aren't you forgetting someone? Oh, Peg, she's nuts. <laughs> nuts or not, she is still our daughter. Oh, all right, Peg. Hi, Pumpkin. <laughs> Isn't that cute? I used to call her Pumpkin, now she is one. <laughs> but Peg, anyway, like I was saying, man, I got good news. Tomorrow, not only will I be selling shoes, I will be selling ladies' handbags. Wow. That high school diploma is really starting to pay off. Anyway, Kelly, guess who has the job of hiring the new employee? Oh, now I wouldn't go a plowing today, Brer Bear. Now, 
Kelly has a interesting response. And Steve, you talked about that. That was your opener. The thing about Br'er Bear, do you have more info on that? <laughs> yeah, that's basically from A Song of the South. It goes, uh, again, something else that is not considered um, PC today. It was in the Disney movie Song of the South. Br'er Bear, Br'er Fox, and Br'er Bear are fictional characters from the Uncle Remus folktales. They were adapted and compiled by Joel Handler Harris. In the animated sequence of the 1946 Walt Disney film Song of the South, these tales of Br'er Fox, the story's antagonist, while Br'er Bear is the dim-witted henchman. So, Al's very excited that he gets to hire someone. <laughs> Let me try this one more time while the liquor stores are open. Al, are you trying to tell us that they're going to put you in charge of doing the hiring? Yes, I am. And let us hope I pick more carefully than I've done in the past. <laughs> I must be careful and selective. I must not hire the first boob who walks in the door. You're hired. <laughs> I mean, the, ca the camera stays on that girl for a very long time. <laughs> Too long. <laughs> Man, I just love these scenes where Al is just staring at a hot chick and he just likes daydreaming. And this scene where he's staring at her and, and she says his name and I forget what he says next, but it reminds me of that scene from the season five episode uh uh, Al Bundy shoe dick with Tracy Lords. Remember how he was sitting at that desk where he's a private eye sitting at that desk and she's talking and, and, and she's like, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Bundy. He's like, what? <laughs> you know, even in his inner monologue on that one, he was thinking, maybe I should pay attention to what she's saying. <laughs> Doesn't this just kind of remind you of that a little bit? How he, way he stared at her and he finally looks up and he's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't I fill out an application first? Oh, good idea. <laughs> here you are. Uh, right over here. Have a seat. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be hearing from my lawyer. Threats don't frighten me. I'm married. <laughs> uh, to my job, not to some giant big redhead. <laughs> Where it says name, do you want mine? Uh, no, just a simple naked photo. We'll do <laughs> I think that this girl deserves an Emmy for her delivery on that because, I mean, I think it it requires someone with a lot of talent to be able to play stupid very well. I agree. I don't know about an Emmy, though. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I um, you know, it's like, you know, she says, it's like Mr. Bundy, where it says date, do you want his name or where we went? <laughs> I mean, I just thought yeah. that was that was beautiful. Well, she has another question that comes later that's even more funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Luigi, I agree 100% with what you just said about it taking a, a very talented person to play someone dumb. I, I always say that about Christina Applegate as a performer is, you know, when, when, when Kelly was at her best was where the writing was great and, and they really nailed it. And, and Christina, uh, Christina Applegate just... Uh, owned it and knocked it out of the park man i think it takes a really brilliant and talented performer to play someone stupid you know what i mean oh, because well, if, yeah. if, if if i try if i tried to do it it would just be lame and corny you know but when a good actress like like christina does it it's amazing and it's funny you know yeah in season seven when i did the notes for um, 
death of a shoe salesman. You know, I came across, remember they kept talking about Fuzzy McGee? <laughs> so I was trying to figure out, you know, Alex had asked me this question, you know, so I could actually answer it for everyone. When when I was looking through, it's like, okay, is this a real person? When it wasn't a real person, I put it, I Googled and I was like, you know, give me the list of like Western sidekicks of the 40s and 50s. So I came across Gabby Hayes and Fuzzy Knight. Now, Gabby Hayes was, they paid an homage to him in Blazing Saddles. And, you know, when I read the description about him, he was a very intelligent, articulate man. And he played these, like, Western coggers, like, saying all of these, like, Dad Gummit and your rootin' tootin' or your, your darn tootin', etc. So, just just to show you, like, it actually takes intelligent people to do that. Like, you know, Abbott and Costello or, or Laurel and Hardy. All those guys were actually very intelligent, but, you know, they had to play dumb. So, okay. I just thought the delivery for Melissa Bear, I, I just thought that that was, like, spot on. Yep. I got a serious question for a second. You notice how Al said just a, a simple nude photograph would work on the uh, on her application in in the in the smartphone era. You know, I guess the thing for for at least young single younger single people is they have nude photos of themselves on their phone to send in case they meet a hot chick or meet a you know a hot guy or whatever. Back before the smartphone era, did people actually carry nude pictures of themselves in their purse or wallet, or is that just a joke on the show? That was just a joke on the show. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, did people actually do that? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I think maybe, Stephen, you might be more <laughs> more qualified to answer this question. I mean, it's not an age joke, but yeah, uh, I've never come across that myself. Because, I mean, she opened, up her, she opened her purse like it was nothing. She's like, oh, yeah, I got one right here. <laughs> I noticed that, too. I, I never th- noticed that before until I watched it this morning. So Marcy and Jefferson come into the shoe store. Well, well, well. It's true what they say. Even in hard times, consumers still flock to quality. Excuse me, Al. Is this seat taken? <laughs> or this one? Or this one? <laughs> Marcy, come here. Look, there's a woman. Aren't they something? <laughs> so what do you want? Jefferson has something to say. Jefferson? Yeah, Al, I'm... I'm here to apply for the... J- for the job, job, say it. <laughs> I am tired of coming home every night and finding you watching the Home Shopping Network. <laughs> Look, Marcy, I don't know the first thing about selling shoes. Is this the right color for me? Absolutely. Brings out the violet in your eyes. I'll take 12. <laughs> I'm sorry, Marcy, but the job has already been filled by someone far more qualified. Mr. Bundy, where it says date, do you want his name or where we went? <laughs> that's, uh, that's Heidi. She's dumb as toast, but I'd kill for her. And I'd start with you. You piece of algae. If you think that I'm going to stand idly by and let you hire some salute to silicone, (laughs) 
Instead of an obviously more qualified person, then you're wrong, Al Bundy. I'll have my women's group down here so fast it'll make your bulbous head swim. My Jefferson is far more qualified than... She makes a comment about how, you know, she's tired of uh, coming home every night and uh, having him watch the Home Shopping Network. So all Jefferson is is another version of Peg. <laughs> But uh, interestingly, he gets down and another hot chick comes in and says, you know, uh, well, actually, no, first, an overweight chick comes in and, and she asks him, is this the right color for me? And he says, it brings out the violet in your eyes. <laughs> so she says, I'll take 12. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think she was that fat, really. Yeah. So, so Marcy yeah, tries, and she's tries enraptured to... by him. That's what amazed me. You know, she's just looking into his eyes. Yeah. That's right. So then Marcy, you know, tries to convince Al. It's like, see, see? And then, you know, the hot chick comes in and he says... Uh, I'm not just a shoe salesman. I also direct movies for HBO. Let's go, Jefferson. Uh, Marcy, I thought you wanted me to get a job. Your job is pleasing me, and I am not pleased. <laughs> That's my mom. It's like, I also direct movies for HBO. <laughs> now, now, to me, that was a call back to Luke Ventura. Because if you remember in the pilot episode, when we're introduced to the character of Luke Ventura, you know, one of the, remember what he says? He says, Luke Ventura, at your feet. So it's very, very similar. So Marcy takes Jefferson back and they have sex so that uh, Jefferson gets out of work. <laughs> that's how Jefferson always gets out of work. That's right. Well, that, that is that is sort of work in a way, isn't it? I mean, sex with Marcy. <laughs> that's like a chore, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now we come to the Polkai fight song. I'm here to apply for the uh, shoe salesman's job. Job's taken. Get out. <laughs> Polkai. Oh, Poke, you're the best of all the schools. <laughs> For you, you will always, always cheer. By day we learn to read and write. By night our team will fight, fight, fight. No matter where we are, we'll always give a raw for P O L K. P O L K. Poke, poke, poke. <laughs> now, I believe this is classic. I think I memorized it probably after the first time I heard it in its initial run. I, um, I think I memorized it. I, I remember it in high school very, very well. So we get introduced to Aaron Mitchell, who says he's from the Polkai class of 1993. Aaron Mitchell, class of 93. Al Bundy, all class, all the time. <laughs> Which makes him 27 years younger than Al. Now, Stephen Chris, I wanted to talk to you about this. I believe there's a continuity error here. Al talks about being part of the class of 66, but from very little that I know about high school football, when he talks about his infamous game for the Polkai City Championships, for the city championships, right? Which is, no, it's not infamous. It's more than famous. More than famous, Colossal. right. That's right. His yeah. Infamous means bad. Right. So he always talks about being part of the class of 66, but the game would have been in November of 66, correct? Or December. November or December. So yeah, usually it's in there for high school championships, either city or state. Right, which technically would have made him part of the class of 67. That's right. Correct? The year I was born. So that's a, a continuity thing that I well, just wanted to make sure. Well, what do you expect with married with children? I mean. <laughs> yeah. And we have a couple of other continuity things we'll talk about in a little bit. 
So we get introduced to Aaron, and Aaron is, I can't even describe the word, infatuated. He is meeting his childhood hero here. Wait a second. Al Bundy? The all-state Al Bundy? I was? I thought you died in Nam. No. <laughs> well, uh, actually, I, I started that rumor. Yeah, see, I died here at home, victim of Agent Red. Al Bundy, do you know what a hero you are to me? I presume you're referring to my four touchdowns in one game? That and the uh, four holes you drilled into the walls of the girls' locker room. For years, I didn't think women had heads. See, you played a little ball. No, 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 you played ball. I was just all city. I was lucky to get a scholarship. I got a scholarship to college. And what happened? An injury, tackle broke my leg, wife broke her water, the end. <laughs> so my question to you is, have you, either of you ever met someone who has been like somebody that you've idolized? You know, it might be a movie star, maybe somebody who you never, like, you know, couldn't, you, uh, you know, you were more than uh, over, like head over heels to meet because you probably you wanted to speak to this person. Uh, I yes, have. I, I have. Uh, you you want to go first or? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, uh, so I grew up in Houston. I'm a huge sports fan. And, you know, if you follow basketball, you know, the Rockets won back-to-back uh, -back championships in the mid-1990s. So understandably, I grew up as a fan of Hakeem Olajuwon. And, uh, you know, I, as a kid, I practiced his moves in my sleep. I had his jerseys, his shoes, yada, yada, yada. And uh, I met him back in 2013, finally. And it's kind of funny how I met him. Basically, this is going to sound funny. I'm going to sound like a groupie or something. But I heard he was at this hotel in the, in the Woodlands, the area where I live, the, the suburb where I live. He was up there doing was meeting some lawyers about a new shoe deal or something. Anyways, I just went up to the hotel like a groupie. <laughs> and I basically just walked around the hotel and wandered around thinking I might run into him. And I went through each floor. And finally, I ended up run meeting him just outside the conference room, you know, and uh, they were leaving. And I met him. I got my picture, took him with him. And I was just like, I remember just babbled. I probably babbled for about 60 seconds straight. You're like, you know, it's such an honor to meet you, blah, 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 blah. At the end, he goes, "Trust me, the honor is all mine." <laughs> oh, that's nice. And we, yeah. yeah, and we took we took a picture. I'll, I'll send it to you, Ordo. Yeah, that that's my story. So, <laughs> I've met a few idols, I guess you could say. One I thought was pretty outstanding was Johnny Bench. I was a, I, I played, I was a catcher in little league and in high school baseball. Paying the price for that now, but um, I was with um, my wife and uh, my uh, cousin Eric and we were having a double date with uh, Eric and his wife and it was this big thing that my wife had helped put on in Oklahoma City and there was a rumor going around that Johnny Bench was outside that he was part of something else and if you don't know he was a great catcher during the 1970s for the Big Red Machine and of course me being a catcher and Eric, too, just loving baseball. We wanted to go meet him, and so we went out to go meet him and just to shake his hand. That's all we got because I already had an autographed baseball from him, and he is from Oklahoma. I, and I talked about that a little bit on um, recently with uh, Tyler on uh, Dances with Wheezy episode. That's right. 
That's right. Um, well, for myself, one little known fact about me, it's interesting, like uh, if you knew me in high school, everybody knew me as a musician in high school. Uh, I was a drummer, not a, a drum set player, like not a rock drummer. I was actually more of like a marching and concert drummer. Uh, and I started playing when I was young. I was like seven years old, and I had this pair of drumsticks from a very famous drum corps guy. His name is Dennis DeLucia. And when I was in high school, it just so happened that my uh, teacher knew him, and I got to meet him. And I still, believe it or not, have those same drumsticks, you know, 30-some-odd years, 35 years later now. Uh, they've never broken. They're, like, indestructible. And at the time, you know, I probably had them maybe for like a decade. And I just said to him, I was like, oh, you know, like I, I have your drumsticks. I was like a little like tongue tied. And he goes to me, he's like, really? He's like, the, the manufacturer told me they only last three months. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was sort of like my little thing. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, first Hill Harper. So Hill Harper is an accomplished film, television and stage actor. Uh, and he stars in the hit CBS drama CSI New York from 2004. And he's got lots of acting credits. So uh, Married with Children seems to have been one of his first ones. And actually, at some point, I believe he hosted a talk show. Um, I think we have some notes on him uh, in the future. But I wanted to stop and talk a little bit about, about this particular episode. This is one of those historic episodes, one of the reasons why uh, I wanted to review it. Because this is the first time that after Luke Ventura that we actually get assistance in the shoe store. And the Married with Children production team really went out of their way to make sure it was a African-American person. And they started with the character of Aaron. Now, I don't think that uh, Aaron, I think like they experimented with Aaron, and I don't think it really worked out because he was too much younger than Al. I really don't think that they could truly be uh, best buddies like we saw with uh, Griff later in season nine. But yeah. this is their first attempt. And they have another attempt in season eight, which is Nooner or Later, where we have get introduced to the character of Dexter, who I consider my one hit wonder. But we will talk about him when we get there. So what are your thoughts on that? I can see why he, I, looking it up, I can see he was only in five episodes of that uh, season. And he wasn't used very heavily. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It wasn't that he was bad. He was just way too young. I think it worked for this particular episode because Al is trying to, you know, uh, take him under his wing and teach him how to do things and give him the wise advice that Al has gathered all two minutes of it. And uh, it just, it, but after this episode, I don't think it had that any camaraderie with it that you get with Griff. Right. You know, and, and with Griff, I mean, again, just to jump ahead briefly, you had a divorced man. Mm-hmm. So Aaron was too young. Dexter was married. So I, I didn't think you could get too many storylines. So the Griff character was a divorced person, but they really went out of their way. Now, one of the things I do want to point out about Married with Children, this is when you talk, you know, you hear some of the retrospectives. Um, in terms of their writing staff, it was very diverse. Uh, you know, Michael Moy has mentioned that Married with Children was probably uh, the one show at the time that used a lot of minority writers, used a lot of women. Typically, I think it was just like white males writing for many of these sitcoms. So Jimmy Walker, from Good Times fame, uh, he said that Married with Children was originally written to depict a black family, but the censors had found it to be in poor taste, so they rewrote it to just be a white family. 
you know, very interesting. A couple of other, you know, again, you know, we've always talked about Stacy Lip. We've talked about uh, Ellen L. Fogel, Catherine Green, who I believe wrote this episode. Um, again, women. Uh, Ralph Farquhar was also African-American. Like, I went through some of the writing credits just to see, you know, I mean, do the statements oh. match? And I found it very interesting. I mean, uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. It's funny, you know, some of the writers and such that you're naming, I, I recognize uh, you know, I guess before following the podcast, I never really paid too much attention to the writers. But, man, I love the Stacy Lip episodes. <laughs> They're usually better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. She is like, I mean, other than Ron Levitt and Michael Moyer, she's probably the, I mean, I, I think she's the best writer, honestly. <laughs> she's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I also want to point out, Married with Children never really touched on racism. I mean, like Al... Al, the character of Al Bundy, he pretty much is just like, he's not, um, like, I mean, Archie Bunker was a racist, you know. Um, he was a bigot. Right, a, a bigot. But you take the character of Al Bundy, he's just sort of, he's just being, like, he's just is, right? This is who I am, like, and you've had characters, like, like if you remember Russ back in season one on the poker game show, to use that as an example, I mean, so Russ is African-American, like, um, you have some Asian-Americans in the mix, did you see from time to time but it's like it's it's a very inclusive show like you know al doesn't really care who his buddies are i guess as long as they adhere to his credo right, right. lie, lie right. when you wake and lie when you know <laughs> lie when you know she's <laughs> faking you know etc <laughs> right yeah. well you gotta remember it i don't think they were doing this consciously i think they just did it because they were people it's kind of like we're not going to hire you because it's not. They weren't going out to try and find a black person to hire. In some cases, they were just trying to hire your average everyday Joe. You know, a, a, looks like a working class guy. You know, that's what they're looking for. Yeah, and I think uh, also, you know, about as far as not touching on racism, I think Married with Children was just a show that was supposed to be fun, where yeah. you can sit down and and turn off, especially on some of the, the latter season episodes, to just sit down and turn off your brain and enjoy the spectacle, so to speak. Uh, you know, racism, obviously, is a serious topic. And I'm, I'm kind of, in a way, I'm kind of glad that they didn't touch on it. Because, you know what I mean? It's like when, when I watch Married with Children, I want to turn off my brain and, and just enjoy the spectacle. You know what I mean? I would wholeheartedly agree because, you know, that's also part of politics. You know, it gets very political. And yet, Mary with Children touches on some, but it's more satire than anything, as opposed to a critical statement or trying to make some point. And, you know, when TV does that, sometimes it gets too preachy and gets annoying. I liken that to MASH. I love the first four or five seasons. After that, I don't care for it too much because it gets too preachy. Right. Yeah. So, you know, one thing um, I also want to point out. So I do like a lot of classic television, you know, because I feel like, you know, when you watch Married with Children, you know, and I've, I've said this before, like they pay homage to their predecessors. You know, they, they pay homage to, you know, people like um, Carl Reiner, who just recently passed away, people like Mel Brooks, you know, sort of the greats who came before them in terms of like their jokes. But this, their primary purpose of the show was to entertain. So I feel, you know, race was very rarely invoked. And when it was invoked, it was always to make a quick, lighthearted joke. One little tidbit for like a show that I like, um, outside of Married with Children, was a show called Car 54, Where Are You? 
and that was uh, from 1961 to 1963. Now, what's interesting on that show was that it depicted blacks, whites, Jews, Irish, and Italians working together as equals at a fictional police precinct in the Bronx. And racism never played a factor in any of their storylines. It was a very kind-hearted kind of look at policing, you know, before you got to more like realistic type of uh, police shows in the 70s. But this is interesting. As a result, neither the entire series or, you know, either the entire series or certain episodes that showed blacks and whites working together were not broadcast in the South during its initial run. And the series creator was, his name was Nat Hyken, and he was Jewish. You know, so again, it's married with children. You have a Jewish and a black guy, you know, who came up with the idea. Aaron says to Al, I thought you died in Nam." <laughs> and Al has a really uh, funny uh, um, a comeback on that. He says, yeah, you see, I died here at home, a victim of Agent Red. So, so I thought uh, it was funny how he said, no, I started that rumor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, you know, for some of our younger listeners, uh, this is a reference to Agent Orange, which was a herbicide and defoliant chemical which was used during the Vietnam War. The government of Vietnam says as many as 3 million people have suffered illnesses because of it. A lot of our Vietnam vets had some side effects from it, too. Yes, absolutely. Now, here's another continuity issue that comes up. So Al says that he got a scholarship to college, and Aaron says, and what happened? He says, well, an injury, a tackle broke my leg, wife broke her water, the end. <laughs> so, so here's my question. Again, another continuity issue. So based on this... Kelly would have been born sometime in 1967. Yeah. Because if that game, or right after that game, you know, he got injured, right, because he never went to college, you would have expected that Peg would have gotten pregnant, let's say, as late as December of 1966. So Kelly would have had to have been born in August or September of 1967, correct? Yeah, but she's only, it's established she's 15 in the very first season. Right. Which would have made her born in 72. Correct. So, again, and now Alex and uh, Alex and uh, Jamie and Dan would harp on these things, but uh, I feel like, you know, and we, we all know, we all know it's the same thing. But, again, Al's Dodge, therefore, should have been a 66 model because later on we, the infamous game comes up. And, again, that should have been in the late fall of 1966. But he's got a 74 model in season seven. He's got a 71 model, um, you know, for a couple of years, right? And then, you know, in uh, season 11, Requiem for Chevy Wade, it's implied that she was conceived, you know, again, which we went over. So uh, I don't know. They just can't get it straight. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I, uh, I think the simplest explanation to that is whenever these episodes, you know, were written in the late 80s, early 90s and mid and mid 1990s. I don't think the creators and writers could have ever imagined uh, the concept of a podcast, nor could they ever even imagine YouTube, basically, where or, or you know where you could sit down and watch every episode over and over and say, "Hey, well, here they say it's a '74 Dodge, but here they say it's '71," and Kelly should have been born in you know '66 or '67 instead of '71. You know what I mean? Oh. Like. I think the simple answer is they just didn't even try to play. Because, I mean, some of these are mistakes where you say, well, if they would have tried, they could have easily got this right. But 
I don't think they focused on it because they couldn't ever have imagined uh, the concept of a podcast, you know? Well, you know, the television, also television writers at that time didn't have the big confab meetings. Since about the mid-2000s, before they get going, this even started in the 90s, you know, before they even start a show, they get together. Okay, what's this? how old is this guy going to be? How old were they when he got married to this woman? When did they get divorced? When did they have these two kids? You know, and they would... They would settle all that before they would even start writing, and uh, but at Mary Wachone was before that time. It's back in back when Mary Wachone around. It's called episodic writing. Um, I mean, look at Gilligan's Island, for example. There is very little continuity to the outside world with Gilligan's Island. Right. You know, and I, I think you know if the show if Michael Moy is listening to this podcast, I'm sure he's just probably shaking his head and chuckling because it's like you know, <laughs> I mean, I think you know we're trying to just do this just to make sense out of this universe, <laughs> but I, I think we we all do it tongue in cheek. I, I think you know um, every all of us, including you know uh, Alex, we all we all do it tongue in cheek. You know, just to have something to talk about. But um, you know, I. I caught on, I'd say like when I was watching the show in its first run, um, I caught on to things like this, but I really didn't care. It was just, I was, for me, it was just the entertainment value. So yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> so Al tells Peg that he's hired someone. <laughs> ah, what the hell? You got the job. All right. <laughs> really? Thanks, Mr. Bundy. Hey, hey. I'd want to impose, but I got my football in the car. Would you uh, autograph it for me? Sure, kid, go get it. <laughs> did I just hear you hire someone else? Oh, uh, yeah, you did. What should I do? Well, keep writing. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, honey. <laughs> I tell you, we just got back from the doctor, and he said that she's much better. <laughs> Al, what's wrong? Your face looks strange. Uh, yeah, it's called a smile, Peg, but don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm not taking it home with me. Peg, you should see. I just hired the best kid ever to help me out in the shoe store. He's a football hero at Polk High last year. You ought to see him, Peg. He's the son I always wanted. <laughs> Who's that over there? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's the wife I always wanted. <laughs> I think at this point, my favorite line by Heidi was, what do I write here on sex? I don't have enough room. Well, you can write on the back. I'm going to need some more paper, she said. <laughs> yeah. So there was an obscure line that Al says. It says... Daddy... Hey, why can't we just put her in David Letterman's house and get it over with? So I had no idea what this was, and I have to thank uh, our um, fearless Annabelle Whitford for the reference on this. So David Letterman had a stalker by the name of Margaret Mary Ray during this time period, and she would actually go to his house or go to the set. So, And this went on for a long period of time, and she eventually got locked up. <laughs> I, think, I think he was very... He was very kind about it, but I believe she passed away. So I think that's, that seems to be the reference. I'm, I'm still trying to make the, the, the connection, but maybe you guys have a better idea. I have no idea. I've been, I was wondering that myself, but uh, I got no clue. 
Okay. Yeah, I got nothing on that. I, I, you know, of course, I've watched some David Letterman, but that's about all I know. <laughs> yeah. So Kelly gives the famous um, Jackie Gleason line. Come on, Kelly. How do we say goodbye? Alice, you're the greatest. <laughs> so again, uh, an, hom- an homage to the honeymooners. There was another. Uh, I remember Al one time making an homage to the honeymoon when uh, he, uh, I think he was referring to, yeah, he was referring to Peg on being on the moon. Yep. I can't remember the episode though, but I do yeah. remember it. Okay, and there's also uh, when we get to the Stepford Peg, um, a little down the line, uh, there is a reference oh. to that as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Aaron comes back with the football, and. Uh, tells Al that he's thinking of getting married. Yeah. I want to thank you again, Mr. Bundy. I really needed this job. Oh, that's okay. I know. College is expensive. Well, actually, that's pretty much paid for. Uh, I'm using this money to buy a ring for my girl. We're going to get married. <laughs> Boom. So now, Al, yeah. so now Al schools Aaron in, uh, in what he should do. What's wrong with getting married? Aaron, sit down over here, son. Let's have a chat. Now, I, too, am a great believer in love. I want to find it myself someday. <laughs> but let me give you a little bit of advice. Bet them, don't wet them. <laughs> Do them, don't woo them. Date them, don't mate them. But Angie's different. Well, she... Always lets you pick out the movie. Doesn't mind when you want to watch a ball game. Can recognize a kitchen appliance two out of three times. Mm. That's her. That's all women before the day. Mr. Bundy, I appreciate your concern. But I want to get married. That's all women before the day. (laughs) Yes. So now Al takes Aaron to the mall lounge, and we have this very, very iconic scene, at least for me. I see now what I have to do. Come with me. Where are we going? The mall lounge, or as we like to call it, the valley of the shadow of death. There they are, son. The lost souls. The meek, the miserable, the married. And over here are the lowest of the lows. The ones relegated to holding their wives' purses. What's wrong with him? His wife is shopping at Victoria's Secret. She tried on a garter belt last week. They haven't seen it since. (laughs) Look over there between Bert and Carson. Well, it's just an empty space. With your name on it, Aaron. (laughs) Come on, guys. What could be better than two people loving each other and sharing the good times and the bad? A steak? (laughs) Fellas. What we've got here is a non-believer. 
A little Marian music, please? shadow of death so Stephen, you were you were a minister do you want yeah. to educate us on that <laughs> that's a biblical reference to psalm 23 and it's a very common psalm that a lot of people like to use it the lord is my shepherd i shall not be in want he make me lie down in pat green pastures and he lead me beside the still waters he restores my soul he leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake Yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs, runneth over, which is another reference to a um, another famous episode. That's right. With That's right, when they go by the bra. Surely, yeah, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me in the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever yeah so i i just find it hysterical this is coming from a former altar boy who heard psalm 23 dozens upon dozens of times at funeral masses it's like you know they're they're using i mean the the writer so Catherine green is using these like <laughs> these very these very biblical references to the the action that's going on there and i feel like it it's you know it tickles my bone i, I don't i don't know how i don't know how you guys feel about it <laughs> yeah. well actually um listen to our podcast tyler and i are going to do on uh how green was my apple and you are going to hear a pretty wild theory i came up with because I finally saw this episode in a whole new light. Okay. So, listen for it. Look, yeah, so, look so, 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 Chris, you, you were, um, I remember you mentioned that you came from a, a big church-going family. So, I mean, how, when, when Al says, you know, <laughs> the, the valley of the shadow of death, I mean, how, how, what's your reaction to that? Oh, I mean, I think it's funny. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's obviously a reference to uh, the psalm that uh, Stephen mentioned. I think it's funny. I mean, I think, you know... A lot of people, especially in today's PC world, when everybody's so divided, I think a lot of people <laughs> would probably be offended by it or bothered by it, whatever. But I thought it was funny, you know. <laughs> yeah. So now Al says, there they are, son, the lost souls, the meek, the miserable, the married. And over here are the lowest of the lows, the ones regulating to holding their wives' purses. Now, <laughs> for me, yeah. now, for me, that is a reference to Dante's Inferno. Yeah, you know that. I mean, if either of you have read Dante's Inferno, it might have been like a thing. Now, I speak yeah. Italian. I've read it in Italian. I've read it in English. You know, so it's the journey of um, Dante through hell uh, and the nine circles of hell. So, you know, I mean, this is where like they're laying it on thick. It's very comedic. You know, this I have to give Catherine Green a lot of credit for this. It is funny on its surface, but you know, to someone who maybe understands the reference i think it makes it even funnier like again you know the valley of the shadow of the death and then you know talking mm -hmm. about the lowest of the lows the lowest of the lows will also be almost like a reference like the caste system right then they all get to sing the song yep 
And did you notice the tune to it? It's the exact same tune as the Polk fight song. Yeah, yeah, I did notice that, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, again, and you know, and Al, at the end of that, he says, that's the Merry Man's fight song, son, that and taps. So, ta- so TAPS is a bugle call played at dusk during flag ceremonies and at military funerals by the United States Armed Forces. That was, um, it wasn't our fight song, but I went to Memorial High School, and uh, they often called our yearbooks TAPS Okay. as m- memories. But now we get to meet Angie. Yeah, so now we get up to Angie. easier to fill this out with the light on. Take your time. Hello, is Aaron here? I just came by to bring his lunch. Oh, thanks. Uh, you must be uh, Angie. His fiance. Well, yes. And you don't have to say it. I know. I'm the luckiest girl in the world. <laughs> oh, but... Not as lucky as he is, I'm sure. Why, uh, he tells me you don't mind when he watches sports. Which I think is good because there's a, there's a game on tonight. I thought maybe I'd invite him over to watch it. Oh, I'm sure he'd love to. I'd watch it with you, but I have a cooking class tonight. <laughs> you, uh... Like football and cooking? Sure. What woman doesn't? (laughs) But, uh, I bet you like to eat, huh? Well, sure. Uh (laughs) (laughs) You know, fruit, vegetables. My big weakness is the Roy Rogers salad bar. Not that the food is bad, I just feel guilty about spending $1.99 on myself. Listen, don't take this personally, but would you marry me? My wife wouldn't like it. She doesn't like anything I like. (laughs) You're cute. (laughs) Well, I better go or I'll be late for work. You work? What else am I gonna do? Sit around the house all day watching Oprah and eating bonbons? <laughs> so hey, let me let me tell you guys something. Uh, 
Do you guys realize who Angie is? Her, I, I was kind of looking, I did a little bit of research. It's an actress named Rose Jackson. And uh, I know you're probably thinking, all right, well, who's Rose Jackson? Well, I'll give you one huge hint. Uh, Rose Jackson is her maiden name. Her current maiden, uh, married name is Rose Jackson Moyer. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So from what I can tell, best I can tell, her and Michael Moyer got married sometime in 1996. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this episode was taped and aired in 1993, I believe. That's correct. So uh, just, you know, I'm just making an assumption. I guess we can assume they were either dating in 1993 or they met on the set of Married with Children somehow, you know, as she was an extra. But yeah, that's uh, they got married sometime in 1996 and they remain married to this day. So that's uh, Mr. Michael Moyer's wife that you're about to see. Wow. Wow. And much younger wife, too. Because Michael, yeah. Michael Moyer, I mean, is pro I think he was born in the late 40s, early 50s. So for her to depict someone who was born in, uh, who would have been part of the class of 93, you're talking about someone who is around 45, let's say, you know, give yeah. or take a few years, because obviously the age of the actor or actress doesn't have to match, the, you know, their right. character age. But wow. Yeah. She's, she is beautiful. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't blame Al when he said it's like, you know, it's like, you know, what about you marrying me? You know, but it's like, I know my wife wouldn't like it, but <laughs> she did have some uh, steady work in the looks like in the 90s up to about 2000. But I guess she's just raising the kid and it looks like she had some regular work on a show called The Crew from 1995 to 96. I never heard of it. And uh, looks like she did Dead Presidents. That was a movie I vaguely remember. She was in Melrose Place, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, wow. Ah, isn't that something? That's pretty Yeah. Has 15 acting credits. Yeah. But, so we've uh, seen, I was just kind of, I was just kind of jogging my memory. So we've seen Ed O'Neill's wife in a couple of episodes. Yep. We've seen uh, Michael Moyer's wife now, or I guess girlfriend at the time, but current wife now. Uh, we've seen David Faustino's brother in a couple of episodes, or we will see him yep. uh, in a couple of episodes by the end of the series. Uh, well, we've already seen him. He's been in some. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's in the car. He's in the famous car wash episode. Remember where uh, David Garrison returns? <laughs> yeah. That's one of my one of my favorite ones. But yeah, we've seen. Uh, have we seen anyone related to Katie Seagal? Um, trying to think. Katie Seagal. No, I know Christina Applegate's mother was on the show. Oh, okay. Was she? I didn't realize she, that. That was the episode where Al wants to get the car. Remember, he's got this mm -hmm. money in the shoebox. Oh, okay. So, like, you know, uh, the the kid. He said, "Remember, the, there's the couple, and the kid says, oh, I don't want, I don't want the car.' Blah blah blah. And he's like, "Please give it to me.'" Like, you know, and Al starts mm -hmm. pleading. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? You know what? We also saw uh, Ron Levitt's wife too. Uh, yep. it, it was just, uh, just gone. Yeah, yeah, the episode, the, the shoe groupie, where Al had the chance to cheat, I believe. Yep. Uh, that was uh, Ron Levitt's wife. That's right. Yeah, so we've definitely seen, we've definitely seen uh, a bunch of them. But this was interesting today, so I guess if no one's ever known this, uh, you got a new tidbit today at the Married with Children podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
So Angie's got some great uh, lines and dialogue there. Uh, one thing is she talks about her big weakness is the Roy Rogers salad bar. <laughs> so you don't see too many of those around anymore. Uh, they used to be bigger back in the 90s and earlier. So it's a chain of fast food restaurants primarily located in the mid-Atlantic and northeastern U.S. And then it got sold to a company called Amasco, a parent company of Hardee's and then experienced some severe declines, and many of those locations were converted to Hardee's stores. So in 2002, uh, the trademark was purchased by Planmunden Companies, and as of today, there are only 48 locations left in the U.S. But I remember them. I remember there were a lot of commercials, too. Um, I don't know if you guys remember them. I don't know if in your part of the country you had those. Uh, we did. Uh, I, I haven't seen them since, like, my... Feels like my early childhood, but I, I do remember them. I yeah, I remember them, but I haven't seen them. God, since I can't remember when, probably in the mid nineteen nineties, which would yeah. fit. <laughs> yep. We need to find out some more about Angie here. She feels guilty about spending more than a buck ninety nine on something for herself. Also, she likes sports. She doesn't mind if he wants to go, if Aaron wants to go out with some friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, she is everything. And she's taking a cooking class and she has a job. That's right. <laughs> All right. This is everything that Al has wanted in a woman. And he does propose to her. That's right. He does. He does. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. We actually also get introduced to a character. Uh, who's very famous on the show. Well, at least I still have... <laughs> a chair. Where a beautiful girl once sat. I need shoes. That's right, the I need shoes lady. So <laughs> she is Mary Pat Green. And the first, this is the first appearance, first of five appearances on the show. Her next one will be uh, in the season closer uh, when Kelly goes on the game show. But we all know her as the I Need Shoes lady. Mm -hmm. So it's our first time that we see her. Yeah, she plays it well. She's funny. I mean, she pretty much just has one line, I need shoes. Or well, I guess the one bowling episode, you know, getting ahead. She says, you need shoes, but <laughs> she you delivers know, it, it well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That line was delivered so well. <laughs> Yep. And, you know, based on her picture on IMDb, it doesn't look like she's aged much. She still looks exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> and she's had a nice long resume here. I mean, she has, wow, 97 acting credits. And she's still working. Well, no, it looks like the last thing she did was about 2013. Okay. So she made yeah. a living and retired. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good career, 97 acting credits, you know, if you think yeah. about it. Yeah. So... Al returns home to Peg. Peg? Oprah? <laughs> you know, Peg, I made a mistake. This morning before I left here, I thought that all women were totally useless. Now I realize it was just you. <laughs> I thought that all men were destined to marry the worst possible mate, but now I realize it was just me. <laughs> oh, hi, Al. I didn't hear you. I was watching Oprah. That's all right, Peg. I was talking to Oprah. But you know what I'm going to do now, Peg? I'm going to live the life I should have had vicariously through Aaron. I'm going to live my sports life through him. 
I'm going to have dinner through him. <laughs> and if he'll let me, I'm even going to have sex through him. <laughs> oh, hi, Al. <laughs> I didn't hear you. I was watching Oprah. <laughs> if only Oprah were on when I said I do. Al effectively gives a lot of exposition while she's not listening to him to tell us it's like really what's going through his head. I thought that was very poignant because a lot of times, you know, we have to rely on Ed O'Neill's, you know, facial expression or stuff like because he's not necessarily telling us everything. But, you know, being with Peg, he actually tells us everything that's on his head, I, uh, that's on his mind. But I think that one of the funniest lines there is like he says, and she's watching Oprah, is if only Oprah were on when I said I do. <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying? I wasn't listening. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> were you yeah. watching Oprah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she doesn't come on for. Oh, I forgot. She's off the air, isn't she? <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. I don't think she's ever been off the air. <laughs> but I, mean, I got to tell you. But really, but back then, you. wouldn't it have been Phil Donahue back then? No. Oprah was around back then. No, but, like in 66? Uh, no, I'm saying in, in 66. Oh, in 66, yeah. Yeah. It would have been Phil Donahue. Um, one of the many things I've done for a school is drive a bus, uh, drive a school bus. And I still do from time to time on trips. And, uh, when I was a route driver, uh, another route, dri another driver gave me this thing to do. And the kids are getting off the bus. I'll t I would tell them, hurry up. You don't want to miss Oprah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And actually one time a kid looked at me and says, we don't watch Oprah. And I said, what do you watch? And he started yelling. Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. That, that, like that, 9 or 10, yeah. you know. Oh, that, that, I'll tell you, when I was in college, um, you know, Springer was on, I think, at 9 and at 11. And, you know, in the, or in our college lounge, that was, you, know, you turn the TV on, that's everyone was there watching that. You know, if you just want an entertainment value. At the driving school I work at, um, a boss's daughter, Jody, and uh, her husband, Bill, I remember when I first met him, uh, Jody, uh, Jody said, we have one claim to fame. We've been on the Jerry Springer show. And I said to her, I wouldn't brag about that if I were you. And she says, no, we were the audience. The audience. We weren't on stage. I thought, okay, I still wouldn't admit to that. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That'd be interesting to witness the taping of that. I, I've, you know, I've, I've gone to tapings of a lot of shows and stuff. I think Jerry Springer would be certainly interesting. <laughs> and we get, hey, we get to see Jerry Springer here later on this season, don't that, we? And That's the, uh, right. And the legendary No Man episode, so that'd be cool. That's right. Tyler, Matt, and Annabelle would be reviewing that. Um, actually, next episode. Awesome. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So, so Aaron comes in the door, and he talks to Kelly. I get it. No, I'll get it, Daddy. Oh, hi, Pumpkin. Hi. How are you feeling? I'm fine. I'm all better. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, is Mr. Bundy here? Hey, you're that really good football guy everyone's talking about. Yeah, and uh, what's your name? Tumbelina! <laughs> Book him, Dano. Yeah, did anybody else get the vibe that for about a half a second there, maybe the show was going to go with a, a quick romance between Kelly and Aaron there, 
And then Kelly, you know, of course, is insane now. So she does that Thumbelina cartwheel. <laughs> Did you guys get that vibe or was it just me? Just for about a half a second. And then she, and then she you know, does the cartwheel. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I think in its initial run, I, I didn't know what to expect. I will say that, you know, the, the ending of this was hilarious. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. You know, oh, and I didn't oh. see it coming. But, uh, you know, I, at the time I didn't see it coming. But... You know, now when you see it, it's like now that you know what the ending is, it makes even the beginning a little more funnier. But <laughs> it still yeah. cracks me up so much to this day, even when yeah. I know what's coming. I loved it the first time I saw it. I never get tired of watching this one. Yep. Hey, by the way, uh, since I mentioned uh, Kelly's cartwheel there, as best I can tell, and I rewatched this several times, as best I can tell, that's Christina Applegate doing the cartwheel. It's not like a yeah. stunt actress or whatever. So. Yeah. I, I I gotta recre- give her credit. That's a pretty good cartwheel for an actress. I mean, pretty good form, pretty good landing. Look pretty uh, look pretty athletic and acrobatic mm-hmm. there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So the dialogue that happens there is Kelly yells that her name is Thumbelina. So that's a fairy tale written by Hans Christian Andersen, first published in 1835, along with the Naughty Boy and the Traveling Companion. In the second Sounds kinky. Yeah, that, it does. But that's why I thought I had to mention it. <laughs> Thumbelina is about a tiny girl and her adventures with marriage-minded toads, moles, and uh, it says cockchafers. I, I don't know what that is, but I thought <laughs> I know that probably Dan, if Dan Chase was on, he'd be laughing at that, right? So uh, she successfully avoids their intentions uh, before falling in love with the flower fairy prince, just her size. Uh, and there were two animated films based on this in the 90s, in 1992 and 1994. So I think that's it was a pop culture reference. And then she says, book them, Dano. And Stephen, you probably know this better than uh, myself and Chris. Yeah, it comes from Hawaii Five-0. That was the American police procedural show. Uh, CBS Productions, and uh, it aired for 12 years, and it continues in reruns. And the only reason it ended, it wasn't because of low ratings. It was just decided to end it. And it's one of the longest-running police dramas in American history. It was rebooted, of course, in the late 2000s and uh, recently ended again, if I remember correctly. I, I wasn't a religious follower of it, but it's, it was always good TV. Uh, something interesting, Jack Lord. He was he played Felix Leiter in one James Bond uh, movie. I forget which one. I think it was uh, the very first one. But they didn't want to make him a regular as Felix Leiter. They wanted to always change it around so that Felix wouldn't become more popular than Bond. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. So now we get to the grand finale. What's going on? I just stopped by to thank you for setting me straight. You made me realize that I shouldn't jump into marriage. So, I broke off my engagement with Angie and decided to go back to the girl I dated all through high school. And I want you to meet her. (laughs) Mr. Bundy. I'd like you to meet Meg. Ooh, Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Aaron breaks off his engagement with Angie and he goes to dating his high school sweetheart. <laughs> and when she walks in the door, you know, it's like, oh my God. So her name is uh, Tammy Roman. Oh my God. They, they, they did it up. I mean, just the audience reaction to that is classic. Yep. I thought Al's reaction was the classic. <laughs> yeah, because uh, you know it was funny. I mean, I think to me the whole punchline of this was that you know Al was trying to steer Aaron to do something different than he did, right? Like he says, you know, uh-huh. I, I you know I want to have you know let him live. I want to live vicariously through him. I mean, I think one of the funny things is it's like if and if he'll allow me, it's like I'd like to have sex through him. <laughs> <laughs> so. Here it is, you know. So Alan, excuse me, Aaron, with his, um, his, his, uh, you know, meeting his idol. What does he do? He actually lives Thanks. the life of his li- of his idol. Yeah. Yes. Uh, real quick, uh, the woman who played Meg, Tammy Roman, this was her debut in acting, and uh, she has forty-seven credits. She was included in the Family Business, a TV series, recent TV series. Uh, some other series she's been in, Truth Be Told, Saints and Sinners, and uh, Bells. That was another one she did back in 2013. But she's had a pretty good resume here. It looks like she's been steadily working ever since. Pretty cool. That's great. Yeah, man, that's just that's just an incredible ending, man. I, I, I remember watching this show live when it aired, and me and my family, whenever we found out that Aaron had broken up with his, his fiance. Or you know his girlfriend. We we were like, we were like, no. We felt sorry for him. We're like, Al, you steered, you steered him wrong. And then man, when when Meg walked in, we just busted out laughing. It was just, it was just. I mean, the ending. The, this is a good episode, but that ending really just hit a home run. I They're dressed the same. They're yep. acting the same. They're bouncing their knee when she sits down. She's excited Oprah is on. And Peg, you and Officer are a bonbon. Yeah, I mean, it's just perfect. It's comedy gold. <laughs> no, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app. And please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. Okay, so let's wrap this up. So, Stephen... How many times do you want to sing the Polkai fight song in support of this episode? I'm going to give this, I'll sing it four times out of five. I thought this was a great episode. The ending is spectacular. One of the best endings ever. My only fault with it is I thought they kind of wasted the B plot with Kelly. There's no but in this hardly at all. And uh, they didn't use, they used Marcy and Jefferson well. But it was, and I know it was an Al Heavy episode, and also with Aaron as a guest star. But uh, Kelly's silliness, uh, I thought it was all right. I just thought it was kind of lazy on that B on that B plot there. 
And that's my only criticism. Other than that, I thought this was hysterical. So, Chris, how many times do you want to sing the Polkai fight song in support of this episode? I'm going to pretty much agree with everything that Steven said. I thought it was a really good episode. Uh, I, I enjoyed that the A plot was great. Uh, it's happy. It, it's amazing to see, uh, you know, Al have a coworker at the shoe store again. Um, and I would have said a four, but with that ending, I think I'm going to bump it up to a 4.5. Uh, I thought uh, it was hilarious. It hit a home run. The only thing keeping me from getting it, giving it a five was the, the lack of bud. You know, there's no bud in the episode. And I, I do agree to an extent that Kelly's silliness was maybe a little bit too much, <laughs> but uh, it was a very good episode. I'm going to give it a 4.5. Yeah. And, you know, later on, they're going to redo that whole Billy Ray Wetnap thing when Kelly gets stung by the, uh, the, tr- the beetle that gives her the, the truth serum. That's the uh, season nine opener. So they reuse that later. Uh, and I agree with you. Because I'm also I'm going to also sing it four and a half times. The there were two things that both of you, like in terms of my notes, both of you touched on. So one is you know the Kelly piece. I feel like it, it was silly. There were a lot of you know again it was paying homage to the past you know past writers and past shows. But I it was a little weak. I felt like it could have been a little bit more. It was disjointed just lines instead of just you know. Maybe uh, doing a, co- a common theme. That was one part. The second one is is that, you know, if, if Aaron's going to be like the son that he never had, like, don't you think they could have done something uh, to depict the son that he does have? You know, like, you know, yeah. Bud, Bud could have had a couple of maybe like quick segments just to say maybe contrast where, you know, Bud is not the high school He's not the high school champion that Al Al, Al is. Uh, he's not. Um, he doesn't idolize Al the way that Aaron uh, idolizes Al. You know that piece I think could have been worked in maybe for to a little bit more comedic effect. But to me, and you know, uh, Chris, you said it well. It's like that grand slam at the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, bumps up bumps up the scores. I mean, I think it 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 brings it clo- very close to a five for me. But uh, again, critically looking at it. I like the uh, I like where it uh, <laughs> how it ended up. I mean, I think it was just perfect. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that ending is is the classic, and that's what makes it a, a really good episode. All right, I said I was going, and I'm going. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to just disappear. You'll see me again. Wherever a fat woman shoves a smelly foot <laughs> in front of some poor guy's face. I'll be there. And now, the last word on this episode. Calling in from his two-thirds acre retirement property on Lake Chickamacomico that the government hasn't yet padlocked, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the creator and executive producer of the Married with Children podcast, Mr. Alex Edwards. Got my trick-or-treating bag ready, got my face paint, got my potatoes. I'm all ready for Halloween this Saturday. Okay, all right, let me do this recording here for the podcast. Scared single. Wow, what better to be scared on Halloween, right? Yeah, like I'm trying here. Trying to tie this all together. 
We are at Scared Single. Wow, Joe Bob Briggs from Monster Vision as uh, the dude in the Verminator commercial. Uh, so glad they kept this gag going, man. You can't say enough that, you know, just some one-off joke in uh, TV world turned into something uh, that some would rival Grandmaster B. Some people, you know, we should have a poll. Who's bigger, in your opinion, Grandmaster B or the Verminator? That'd be an interesting one. Al hires a blonde based on her breasts. She's a salute to silicone, guys, and I love it. That is such a... Like, you know, they make a show called The Man Show. This is The Man Show. I mean, when <laughs> when you uh, pan to those and then you just hear Al go, you're hired. I mean, that is epic. Jefferson going in there for a job. Really? Marcy is okay being married to a shoe salesman after seven years of jokes to Al? About his paycheck, and if you have, you know, change for a dollar so I can cash your paycheck, or, you know, all those types of jokes or whatever. You know, um, I can't believe that she'd be okay with Jefferson working there. Um, but then I guess some would argue, well, it's better than having no job. That would be worse. But I don't know. Really? Would it be? You know? Is it? Is there more dignity in being out of work? than being a shoe salesman? I I think so, in Marcy's eyes. We get the Polk High song when Aaron walks into the shoe store. You know, when Aaron gets there, I just know that this is an episode I really, really, really like. And just seeing his face and that voice and everything, you know, the weird part is, Although I was the host of this podcast and I started it up and all that type of stuff, and and I guess I'm still the executive producer, I don't memorize every little thing about every single episode. I really don't. And, And I'm okay with that. And what it does is it leaves some surprises. And one of them is if you were to ask me like two or even yesterday, uh, I was going to say two years ago, but it, w- it wouldn't even matter. If you asked me yesterday... How many episodes was that dude Aaron in who Al, you know, told not to get married and he left his girlfriend for his high school sweetheart? How many episodes was that kid in? I would have said, uh, just the one. (laughs) I had no idea that he, he was on the show like five times. He was on this one, a little off the top, Honey, I Blew Up Myself, Field of Screams, The Legend of Ironhead Hayes. I would have never known that. It's just... Whenever I think of that kid, Aaron, I just think of this episode and nothing else. How deep was that when I was like, you know, I got a tackle, broke my leg, wife broke her water. But, uh, you know, all things considered, I think it turned out pretty well. And he looks around. I mean, God, that is dark, man. That's dark. That's deep. Full of despair, that whole moment. And then Al goes and cries in the back room for a second. That was really um, scary. Al catching the pass from Aaron and then tackling those two women who were entering the shoe store. Oh, wow. I mean, he wasn't even easy on that that second one either. She must have said, just hit me. Kelly was great in this episode, man. She plays a girl who lost her mind perfectly. I mean, she's been practicing for how long now? Uh, I think she's really honed that craft. Um, but yeah, this was obviously an extreme version of Kelly with no mind. And... Uh, I really liked it. I always I thought she was very cute in this episode. 
Aaron wants to get married, so Al brings them to the the mall lounge, the Valley of the Dead, uh, and they sing that marrying music. So you got Polk High and marrying music in this episode. That's that's great. The blonde still filling out the application when Al comes back in the next morning. It just has leaves so many questions. Didn't Al know when he left the store? Uh, how? What? What was she doing? Was she awake the whole time? Uh, you know, was she trying to write in the dark? I, I, the mind boggles. I want to know why she eventually left. What was the last straw? I mean, hell, she was willing to sit there when she knew somebody else was hired. Aaron's girlfriend coming in, and Al, rightfully uh, so, falls in love with her. And when that blonde leaves that I mentioned earlier, that beast that takes her place, I need shoes. I mean, that's just, that's back to reality, man. I mean, this episode has two dark moments. The one where Al said, all things considered, things turn out pretty well on that. I mean, because they're just two wake-up calls that you just don't need. And where did she come from? How big of a shoe store is this? Like, is there more from where the camera is pointed towards everything? Is there more behind that? How much more? Where did she come from that Al didn't even see her coming? (laughs) Aaron dumps Angie on Al's advice and goes back to Meg, essentially a black peg Bundy. (laughs) I mean, that is iconic. Uh, That is something I'd be curious about. Do they ever show her again? I mean, I really didn't look her up before I did this little snippet, but uh, yeah, I don't think so. I can't imagine. God, I didn't even know Aaron was back. So I can't imagine that they brought the black peg Bundy back. But she was just great, man. She really played it up perfect. This might be a surprise, but guys, I've seen this episode like 50 times. I love it. Five out of five. I know that's so random, but the, the whole premise, the execution, the um, how fast-paced things moved along, the B story of Kelly, uh, the way it started off with the commercial, um, even though when she puts the sign against the window, you could tell that the, the bugs aren't actually inside of that glass case because it, it's proven there. But it doesn't matter. It's all about the gag of it. And that was hilarious. What a great way to start the episode. Just good stuff. I mean, this is... I'm still loving it. I'm sorry. We are seven and a half seasons into this series, and I love all of it. You know, there are a few clunky episodes here and there but man what a strong show even to this point man so yeah five out of five that's all folks okay so next week when al and his friends get fed up with the women taking over the jiggly room and their bowling night thanks to both jerry springer and marcy darcy they form a secret organization called no man and hold springer hostage in his own show an audience filled with men donning the no man shirts they intend to perform television's first sexorcisms, which includes them forcing him in watching hours of pro wrestling. They'll also <laughs> force him to wear sticky yellow underwear and a pair of boxers with the words, It's all me, until the women who took over the jiggly room and their bowling night comply to their demands. Really looking forward to that review. Uh, our team Australia will be doing that review. Mm-hmm. So, until next time. Same Bundy time, same Bundy channel. Awesome. We'll see you guys next week.